0: Today's scripture reading is from Luke 11, 1 through 4. Please read with me the highlighted verses. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. This is the word of the Lord. God. Well, good morning and Happy New Year. My name is Brad. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace as well. And I want to give a special greeting to anyone who's joining us online this morning because they have a tree across their driveway or some other uh, unforeseen reason uh, why you had to plan to be with us but can't. We know it's been a a crazy time, and uh, some of us have been on crazy adventures uh, over the last weeks and, and getting back to sack and so if uh, you're one of those uh, my family was as well i'm glad you're here if you're streaming from an airport somewhere where you're stranded uh, we hope that you can join us soon um this past monday night my family and i were doing what we do most monday nights in football season we were watching monday night football and uh We weren't very far into the game when a backup defensive player for the Buffalo Bills named DeMar Hamlin suffered a cardiac arrest on the field after making a tackle. And uh, there's lots that can be said about that, but uh, what took my breath away, amongst other things, was how, uh, and I had never seen anything like this, but uh, in that moment, the whole multi-billion dollar industry of NFL football came to a screeching halt. The TV uh, analysts and the advertising uh, didn't know what to say, and they were on a loop uh, trying to figure out what to do. 65,000 fans in Paycor Stadium in Cincinnati waited quietly to see what would happen, and 13 million other people watching on television were glued to the screen. The whole machine was paralyzed for more than 15 minutes while Hamlin lay on the field surrounded by medical personnel receiving CPR, while other players and coaches looked on in shock, held each other, and wept on television. The TV commentators were speechless. They kept cutting to commercial and coming back without anything new uh, to say or any updates. And so uh, they would come on for a few moments and say little more than all we can do right now is pray and then cut back to a commercial. And of course, they would come back and say again, we don't have any new update. All we can do right now is pray. But it began to weigh on me the irony of the fact that no one was praying, right? They kept saying, (laughs) all we can do is pray, but no one... Was praying. In fact, we were watching players and coaches pray on the field, but no one who said all we could do was pray was, was praying on television. Uh, just making awkward comments and then cutting away uh, again to uh, unfortunate advertisers whose advertisements would then play. It was a pretty good picture, I felt like, as I have reflected over the last couple of days of how I have felt off and on recently about prayer convinced that it's good and that it's necessary, convinced that God calls me to do it. In fact, that it's critical that I should have this as part of my spiritual life. And yet watching and listening as other people around me pray and often feeling like for some reason um, there's a barrier preventing me from full participation or that I find in my heart saying, boy, I need to pray about that and then not doing it. Maybe you felt this way too. Maybe you feel like a novice, like uh, you're you're nervous, um, you're nervous that you might not pray right and so, that you, so you don't try. Or maybe you're an expert, right, when it comes to uh, the times in public when it's time to pray, whether that's at a church group or Thanksgiving dinner and they say, hey, will you say grace? You're good at that, but anemic when it's just you and God and prayer. Maybe... You've never prayed uh, and wouldn't know how to start or you wouldn't know who to ask for for help to learn how to pray. In fact, I would say that probably most of us uh, wouldn't even think of praying. We don't think of praying until we find ourselves uh, completely powerless and in a, a desperate circumstance like people found themselves in during Monday night's football game. And uh, then it was all anybody could talk about. All we can do right now is pray. Uh, and people felt compelled that they wanted to uh, do something and, and participate in some way, and yet so clearly had no equipment, uh, no preparation, uh, no means to begin to pray in that situation uh, because maybe they hadn't been taught or didn't have practice Or didn't know what it meant. In years past, on the first Sunday of uh, a new year, I have preached a sermon that we've called uh, A Year Verse. I've gone and I've uh, chosen a a verse or a passage in the scripture uh, and uh, decided that it would be a theme verse for me and try to make it a theme for our church and ask uh, the congregation to pray for me and, and for our church that... This would be our theme. Full disclosure, uh, I had decided that I would not uh, preach a year verse this year, and it may be partially related to how constipated I've been feeling in prayer, Uh, partially related to the fact that I've been struggling so much uh, that I didn't feel like I could have integrity in saying, hey, I've been praying about uh, a year verse, and this is what it is. And so I had decided instead that I would take up the next, uh, the, the next passage in our study in Luke and ask that God would use it in the way that he saw fit. And lo and behold, the next passage in Luke says, one of Jesus' disciples asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. And so this morning... Um, and for the record, January 8th, 2023, I'd like to invite you along with me as I reflect on this passage that has become for me a year of verse and happens to be the next passage in the series in Luke. Uh, Lord, teach us to pray from Luke 11one one to four. And, uh, and I'll ask that even as we think about this, that uh, we would pray that we would be a church that prays. Jesus is asked to teach uh, his disciples to pray, and the first thing he says is, uh, So when you pray, dot, 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 what does he mean when he says, When you pray? Uh, Is he about to give us a formula, uh, a form uh, for prayer that needs to be followed each time that we pray, some words that we need to get in the right order exactly uh, at prescribed times during rituals? Uh, if we want to get the right outcomes uh, for our prayers. Well, the Lord's Prayer, as it's come to be called, although it's kind of interesting, I feel like it should be the disciples' prayer. It's the one that Jesus taught the disciples. Uh, But the Lord's Prayer has really uh, played that role in Christian history in lots of ways. It's come to be a prayer that gets prayed at uh, certain points. Uh, In Catholic traditions, you can be prescribed to, to, uh, to pray the Lord's Prayer as a penance, you know, uh, say this many Our Fathers and go in peace. I, uh, like maybe other people in the room, grew up in a, in a Protestant church, and, but we prayed the Lord's Prayer every Sunday at the end of the prayer time. In fact, as a kid, I remember having my eyes closed and thinking, okay, we're almost done because we're praying the Lord's Prayer. <laughs> it's a good prayer. It's a good prayer to use uh, in corporate worship and ritual Uh, But it doesn't seem to be the only thing that Jesus had in mind. Uh, The emphasis when he says, whenever you pray, seems to be in in two places. One, his assumption that we will pray. uh, And so he's giving instruction for when we do that, that we would be praying people. And that secondly, uh, that praying might occur in multiple kinds of places, not just formally, but routinely, that we'll be people that pray routinely and sporadically uh, when it comes to us. And so Jesus is giving us a model prayer uh, rather than a specific formula. Uh, He's not, I don't think, designing a mantra for us to repeat for us for a desired outcome. Um, And we can see that This is not. He doesn't use the prayer in that way throughout the Scripture either. The Lord's prayer appears in two places here in Luke and also in Matthew, and they're not the same. It's not exactly the same. In fact, the prayer that we prayed during the Lord's prayer came from Matthew, and the prayer that we read this morning in Scripture came from Luke. And so, even the two places in the Scripture uh, don't have it the same uh, as as if it was a magic formula. I don't think so. And Jesus doesn't always follow the form that he gives. Uh, Sometimes he prays from the Psalms and other times he skips parts and gives direction to go to this part of that. And the night that he was betrayed, he says to his disciples, "Uh, pray that you might not fall into temptation. He skips right to the temptation part. He doesn't say you need to pray for daily bread and for forgiveness of sins tonight before you can pray about temptation. The Lord's Prayer, I think, is a good example of how good and generous Jesus is. He gives us a form when we don't know how to pray. If you don't know what to pray, you can pray. The form that Jesus gave. But it also is a prayer that gives us freedom as people who pray to pray freely, knowing that if we're praying the things that Jesus about the things that Jesus instructed us to pray, that we're people who are praying for God's will. We're praying for uh, what God wants because this is... the the things that Jesus instructed us to pray. So it's all of those things, not to mention the fact that it's beautiful and powerful, certainly worth memorizing and reciting together as a congregation at important points in our history and in our ritual. Luke's version of the prayer uh, that Jesus teaches that we read this morning is simple and succinct. It's actually sort of abrupt. It happens and then it stops and something else happens in the passage. Um, People do lots of, uh, people organize it in their minds in various ways this morning. I'm just going to think about it in two movements, looking up and looking around. So uh, the first part of the passage, Jesus invites his disciples, instructs his disciples to look up. He says, pray like this, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. The first thing Jesus teaches his disciples about prayer is that prayer starts with God. This is counter uh, our instinct. We start with us. We start with where we find ourselves and and the predicament we're in. But uh, Jesus is teaching us that prayer is designed to be God-centering. It's supposed to center us on God and not ourselves. My tendency, my instinct is to begin with me. Uh, But Only by letting prayer reorient us to who God really is and where we fit into creation and into his design will we be able to pray in a way that actually fits with reality. Uh, When we start putting God at the center, then we start praying in a way that is consistent with the way the world really is. And we can start to pray knowing that as we pray for God's will to be done, that's what he wills. And so Jesus begins with God, and he says, Father. Don't miss that first word, because nobody prayed like that before Jesus. Occasionally in the Old Testament, um, the scripture would refer to God as Father in some sort of colossal Father of Israel or Father of a New People sort of way, but nobody referred to God personally as Abba, as their Father before Jesus. Jesus always prayed this way. It's not an exception, it's the rule. Jesus always called God Father when he prayed. At least 60 different times in the Gospel of Luke when Jesus prays, he calls God Father. Jesus was demonstrating how to live and to pray with jo- with the joy and the freedom of knowing that you are a daughter, that you are a son of God, that you are beloved, beginning in a place of knowing that I was intended, I was planned. I'm going to be protected. I'm part of family. I am his spitting image. He wants to be with me. He's been preparing to provide for you. He's been making plans as fathers tend to do. He wants to tell you the family secrets and give you everything that is his in an inheritance. Jesus says, Father. Just that first word, Father, breaks down so many of the excuses and the lies that I believe as I begin to approach God in prayer, like how, that, that God is far off or that he is uninvolved or that he is uh, disinterested or that where I find myself doesn't matter or that I'm not worthy or that I'm not prepared enough to pray or that I won't be polished enough. All of those things fall away in the one single first word, Father. Jesus' God-centered prayer begins by looking up, uh, calling God, Father, and then he, and he asks God for two things. And what's so crazy is that you think about it, and as you study it, you realize that when we actually begin to center our prayer on God and not on ourselves, we end up uh, praying and asking for exactly what we need most and don't realize it. Jesus asks God and he says, uh, he, he asked that God's name would be hallowed or made holy. God, make your name holy. He's not suggesting that God's name isn't holy unless we holy it, right? That God is depending on us somehow to make his name holy. God is God. He is set apart. He's separate from sin. He is perfect in his godness. Um, but we're asking for him to put himself on display, we want His Godness, His holiness, to be made known in our lives and in uh, in our hearts. We're praying for God's reputation, and the first place that He needs to be made known is in my heart. I need I need uh, His I need Him to make His holiness known to me, and it means that I'm praying that God's name and His word would be honored on my lips. That. Uh, in my life, I'm praying that I'd operate in, a, in, in the world in a way that would contribute to God's reputation, people would know his goodness. And then, of course, as I pray that uh, God's reputation would uh, rise in my heart, then that bleeds out into the circumstances and the situations that I find myself in. And uh, I begin to be praying for God's reputation where I go and, uh, and for others in others' lives for whom I'm praying Uh, that above all God's goodness and his holiness would be made known because this is our hope. Uh, We need to know that he's good and people need to know that uh, prayer is not about a formula and it's not a power that I have. It's actually about a God who is a father, who loves and cares. Dan Orlovsky. Honestly, a week ago, I wouldn't have been able to tell you who Dan Orlovsky is. Uh, But I did a little research after I heard that name this week. Dan Orlovsky was a backup quarterback in the NFL for more than a decade, never really got a starting gig. Um, He became a football analyst on ESPN after he got done playing football. And on Tuesday afternoon after about 24 hours of sports pundits coming on television and tweeting and saying other, in other places that, pe- that we were sending thoughts and prayers and that people needed to pray and that there was nothing else that could be done about Damar Hamlin's situation, Dan Orlovsky appeared on ESPN on a show called NFL Live and bowed his head and prayed. He says, God, we come to you in these moments. That we don't understand and that are hard because we believe that you are god and coming to you and praying to you has impact we're sad we're angry we want answers but some things are unanswerable so we just want to pray to truly come to you and pray for strength for demar for healing for demar for comfort for him to be with his family to give them peace If we didn't believe that prayer didn't work we wouldn't ask you god but i believe in prayer we believe, and so we lift up DeMar Hamlin's name in your name, amen. It was compelling. It suddenly took the focus off of who it was that was saying the thing, who it was that was tweeting or uh, speaking on television to, to make the report. It, it suddenly took the focus off of DeMar Hamlin, actually, Uh, It took the focus off of prayer as some sort of formula that you had power over, and it centered the focus on the one to whom we prayed. He said, you are God, and in your name we pray, amen. Hallowed be your name. His reputation was lifted up. After praying for God's reputation, Jesus uh, prays for God's rule. He says, may hallowed be your name or your kingdom come. He's not praying for some political vision of Israel, uh, the kingdom of Israel to return. He's not praying that America would become a Christian nation. He's praying for God's kingdom, God's rule in creation. Uh, He's praying for the territory where God has complete control to increase. Uh, For God's Uh, Control and sovereignty over creation and over his enemies, over the people who serve him. And so when we pray that God's kingdom would come, we're praying that God would bring all things under his control. We're praying that God would take more territory in our own hearts. And we know the territory we've been defending against him. Uh, We know that when we pray that God would reign in our own hearts, we're asking for help to give him control over All of those things that we insist that we can do better than him. It's ultimately praying uh, for all of those realms in our lives, right? That God's control, his kingdom would grow in our family, in our homes, in our communities. That these would be places where God would have more authority and rule. Which means that they become places where we submit to one another in love. Where strangers are welcomed as neighbors. Where uh, the poor and weak and the sick are protected and restored. Isn't it crazy what you start praying for when you say God's kingdom come? It means praying for God to keep His promises to redeem and to restore the brokenness that uh, nature experiences around us as it's groaning in the groaning in the, in the in the in the cursed state that it's in since the moment that humanity foolishly thought that we could wrestle control away from God. So Jesus looks up, teaches his disciples to look up, and then he invites us to look around. We've centered our praying on God, and then there's three, three ways that he invites us to pray for what we see around us. He says, uh, get, he says, pray like this. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who's indebted to us, and lead us not in temptation. I think one of the compelling things to me about these three uh, personal requests uh, that uh, we're invited to pray about our own needs is that uh, in the original Greek, all three of these petitions are in the plural. So it's not a singular, God, give me my daily bread, Uh, but that Jesus is teaching us to pray for what we need as a group, which is to assume that he will provide for us and uh, as the community of believers as a group that there's some uh, skin in the game that we have uh, with each other as we pray for God's provision, that he might use us in each other's lives um, to, to give that provision. We're praying that there would be enough provision and forgiveness and protection from God for his people. And so this assumes that there's some sort of mandate, right? That maybe as we pray that God would provide daily bread for his people, we might end up needing to share some of our daily bread uh, with others in the group. Uh, As sure as it's clearer that there's a mandate that as God provides forgiveness, he's asking us to share that forgiveness with others in the group. The Lord's Prayer is ultimately a family prayer. It might feel differently. I think in a different part of the world, we would have a different perspective on praying for daily bread if we weren't people that uh, were pretty confident that we had another meal coming. But Jesus is calling us towards two things as we pray for bread. First, uh, daily ongoing dependence on him. Regular acknowledgement that everything that we need comes from him. That, as we say in our house with our kids, even the money that we have from the job that we work so that we can buy food that we eat is a gift from him. All of these things are things that God provided for us. So daily dependence. And secondly, uh, it's interesting that Jesus says pray for bread. Uh, He doesn't say... Um, pray for wine, although we know Jesus liked wine, He's pretty clear that uh, we don't actually need as much as we think. and He's inviting us to pray for what we need. God gives good gifts and He gives gratuitous gifts. He actually invites us to pray for good things beyond what we deserve, beyond what we need. And so there's nothing wrong for praying with praying for good things in life, for a promotion for admission to that school, for her to notice you, for the Buffalo Bills to win. But the prayer that he's instructing here uh, is that he's asking us and telling us that he'll provide for everything that we need. He hasn't promised more than that. Everything that he gives more than that is his good, gratuitous gift. There was an inevitable barrier, and there was an invisible barrier, uh, I think, on Monday night that was keeping most people who were appearing on television um, from praying. And we, I mean, if you were watching, you knew about all of the reasons why uh, somebody uh, who was a, who was a, a pundit or a, a, te- a commentator might not just bow their head and pray. It was a barrier, I think, made of fear, certainly fear and disbelief. Uh, Certainly, I had to think about whether or not you'd keep your job if uh, you prayed on national television. There's fear there. Fear that you might offend someone. Um, There's 13 million people uh, watching. Uh, If you don't pray the right way, uh, you might offend someone. Fear that it would affect TV ratings, and that's what we're here for, right? Business. Um, And certainly there's disbelief, right? There's a difference between saying uh, we should pray and actually being someone who prays and believes that it makes a difference. And so it was almost a palpable, invisible barrier for 18 minutes on national television talking about prayer, at least for me, but not praying. Our sin is a barrier in prayer. Uh, it's a barrier to the depths, uh, to, to the depth that you desire in your relationship with God. And so it's interesting. Uh, the Lord's Prayer is a sinner's prayer. Right there it says, forgive us our sins. We come and acknowledge that we're unworthy sinners in need of grace. And this is something that Jesus says that we should do, quote, whenever you pray. God We're told in the scriptures, forgive sin through the work that Jesus did on the cross by taking the consequences of our sin and dying in our place, literally eliminating the barriers between humanity and God, the things that have separated us and strained and broken the relationship that God designed us to have. so we don't confess our sins whenever we pray because we're afraid that we might have uh, disqualified ourselves in some way from God's affection since the last time that we confessed our sins. Uh, we, we confess our sins because uh, it, it brings us back to the cross. It reminds us of what makes this relationship possible. I would say uh, if you've never confessed your sin to God, then this is the place to start. This is the epicenter of the prayer uh, that you may desire. If you want to have a relationship with God, if you want to uh, have a, a spiritual depth to your prayer life, the scripture tells us that Christ is the mediator, that uh, he in his, uh, in his death and resurrection brings us reconciliation with God. And so that's the only way that we come to God with confidence, uh, to ask for anything. And because, uh, and and so whenever we pray, we confess our sins and ask for forgiveness because uh, our relationship with God is like any relationship. It gets more and more distant the more issues and offenses and uh, and things that go undealt with, right? It's the more elephants there are in the room, the more cordial and surfacey your Thanksgiving dinner is, right? There's so many things we're not talking about. God has made a way for us to be forgiven and restored to Him, Jesus Christ. That's what the Scripture tells us, and that's what we celebrate and what we depend on, Uh, by asking for forgiveness each time that we come in prayer. And the same is true for our relationships with others. The passage says famously, as we forgive everyone who's indebted to us. A lot of ink has been spilled over what Jesus is saying here. Is he saying that you can't be forgiven if you don't forgive others? Uh, Whether it's a requirement for God's forgiveness that you first forgive other people. And here's what we know. What we know is that one of the strongest proofs that you understand forgiveness, that you have received forgiveness from God, is your own commitment and ability to forgive other people. You can almost say that this is a prayer for assurance of salvation. If I'm I'm asking God to assure me that I'm forgiven... And he is saying, you'll see the proof of your own forgiveness and your ability to forgive. God, prove to me that this impossible thing has been done, that even I have been reconciled to you through Christ. You saved me. And so I'm asking you to give me assurance of that salvation and prove to me that this impossible thing has been done by helping me to do this impossible thing in my own life, forgiving other people. For some of us, it will just even be beginning by praying just for a heart that could consider the possibility of forgiveness and asking God to start with that. We confess our sins and we pray for forgiveness because frankly, we keep on sinning. We're sinners. And that uh, this is this may be the invisible barrier for many of us that's keeping us from praying at all, let alone uh, at the depth of the sort of relationship that we desire with God. And so, as as a last request, because Jesus knows these things, uh, Jesus teaches us in many ways uh, to pray a prayer that asks God to protect us from ourselves. He says, lead us not into temptation. The book of James teaches us that God doesn't tempt. Temptation doesn't come from God. God doesn't play games like that. Um, That temptation towards sin is always the allure of our own desire. Our heart deceiving us and promising us that uh, we can have what we want now without hurting anyone or other hurting ourselves, promi- promising us that we can have control in our lives beyond what's our, our, our actual reach, promising us that we truly are worthy to uh, judge and condemn other people. Always our desires suggesting that following our own heart will bring us closer to the way things are supposed to be, and then realizing later that our temptation has led us to sin that has dumped us further and further from the heart of God and the design that he had for our life. Further and further from the God who loves us and made us for himself. And so Jesus uh, Uh instructs us to pray that God would lead us not into temptation. I promised that uh, that Luke's teaching on the lord's prayer was succinct and abrupt and so so is the sermon it's done i'm going to pray lord father what an incredible gift to be called a son or a daughter teach us to live and to pray in the freedom of knowing that you are a good father lord we want your reputation to, uh, to grow in our own thoughts and in our hearts that we would know that you are good and holy. We pray that uh, knowing us and our families would be for those who come in contact with us knowing that God is good and that uh, you are worthy to be trusted. Lord, we pray for your kingdom to come. Uh, we still grasp too much control in our lives and don't believe uh, that you are good and that uh, your way is right, but we pray that you would take more territory in our hearts, in our families, in the work that we do in the communities where we live. Lord, thank you for your provision. Uh, That we're here means uh, in one way or another, um, we were able to get up this morning, we had power or not, but we were able to uh, be clean enough and fed enough and dressed enough to come. You've provided so well for us. Thank you for your provision. Forgive us, Lord. We don't deserve to be here. And you've been so good to bring us to this place. Forgive us, Lord, because we don't forgive each other. We've come with uh, with grudges and burdens and uh, unspoken of things. And we pray, Lord, that you'd begin to uh, Thaw the ice in our hearts and make us people who forgive because we've been forgiven. Lord, protect us from ourselves. Uh, even uh, as we go from this place, Lord, remind us of how good you are and how much uh, better uh, your ways and your word and your, uh, your people uh, fellowship with your people is than uh, all of the things that would um, draw us away and into ourselves. Lord, now meet us at this table as we gather to celebrate that uh, you, Jesus, died and rose again to reconcile us, uh, as the book of Hebrews says, that uh, we could approach your throne uh, of grace with confidence in prayer because of the work of Christ. In his name we pray.